Joyful exaltations. Greetings to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Women's Wednesday. I'm your host, Mariama Tane, and I'm so thankful you're here tonight. This evening, we're going to um, be doing something new. The, um, the chat room is open. All you have to do is log on for a free account with Blog Talk Radio. And once you have a free account, you have the option of using the free 30 minutes a month, or you can just be a listener. And you have the ability to join any chat room on any podcast that's being presented on Blog Talk Radio. So you're able to have a voice and be interactive, live time, and fellowship with others as the podcast is being displayed. So you can express your views. I can see them. The other hosts can see them. And um, as the podcasts play, we can interact, and from that point forward, we can then interplay on the phone if you'd like. So this is a way for ones to fellowship and get to know one another as we come unified under the banner of the Most High. So again, you would just sign up for, for a free account on Blog Talk Radio, and you'll be able to express yourself in the chat room with others. Tonight's theme is ways to discover your God-given purpose. We've talked about that a lot. Rather, I've talked that I've talked about that a lot on past episodes on meditating on what it is you were here to do. You know, um, everyone was born with the gift or gifts, and some of us never open them, or we just see them from time to time, and we don't treasure it for the God-given purposeful gift and manifestation that he bestowed on one to implement on his earth during your lifetime. Also, we're going to delve into the qualities of the gifted soul. And so I'd like to start off with the praise up because every, because there's nothing new under the sun. The Most High has addressed every issue, every qualm, every question, And so with that being said, I'm going to move forward into 1 Corinthians 12. 
Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man who profits with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man, severally as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, and one body, see also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether be Jew or Gentiles, whether be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where we, where the hearing, if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him, all one member. Where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God had tempered the body together, having given more more abundant honor that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 
And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ. And members, now ye are the body of Christ. And members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of, of, of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. Covet earnestly the best gifts. You have to covet it. That's the one thing you can covet. (laughs) With all earnestness. And their treasures inside of you. And some of us are blessed to have stumbled upon. Some of us are blessed to, to knowingly go on a journey to find. And some of us are looking for ways and don't know which way to go. So iron sharpens iron this evening. We're going to take a music moment. Bless.
invisible duality, accountable only to myself. My physical is sacred, not a product for a shelf, not for sale, no need to prep. Except for the protection of my mind and self-respect. Through daily meditation, I find my inspiration and secure my motivation as I introspect. Western world bombarded by so many noises. As a stranger here, I will have no fear. For in fulfillment of my purpose, my soul rejoices. My soul rejoices. My only challenge is to better know this feminine divine which I aspire to.
Greetings. I'd like to still encourage ones to log in to blogtalkradio.com. And if you don't already have an account, you can set up a free account and you can join in the chat room. That's a new feature that we're displaying this evening. It's a, it's, it's, um, a part of the podcast. You can fellowship with ones and express yourself on the content that's being portrayed or anything that's coming across your mind as you enjoy the podcast. I'm going to move forward into the 10 ways to discover your unique gift. 10 ways to discover your unique gift. One way is to revisit your childhood. You've probably heard this before. That's because it works. Think back as far as you can to preschool days if possible. Think back to times when you weren't influenced by peers or by fears. Overstand. Back to a time when you weren't influenced by peers or by fears. Times when your parents' expectations of you didn't go beyond you playing and exploring the safe environment. What did you do? How did you fill your days? What activities or experiences created the greatest memories? What was the most fun? The common thread in there is a message. And with the little reinterpreting, it could fit your adult world. Pale you down a path towards your unique gift. So again, revisit your childhood. What did you do to fill your days? What activities or experiences created the greatest memories for you? What was the most fun for you to do? Two is to get lost in the present. It's okay to sit down and let your mind wander. When was the last time you lost track of time? Activities that you find so engrossing that you don't think about time or eating or sleeping? Do you have these experiences at work? Do your hobbies or your your off-time activities fall into this kind of category? Moments of lost time point toward areas of strong, intense, and deep passion. Another key stepping stone on the path to your unique gift. Number three, you can ask others that you trust and love and that you know love you. Friends, family, associates, or trusted advisors get to observe you in ways that you cannot. Observe yourself. Their insights can be valuable, revealing, endorsing, and reinforcing. Many times their observations have greater clarity than self-analysis. That is surrounded by a fog of self-talk. You know, we convince ourselves or convince ourselves out of things on a daily basis. You know, so... Ask some close observers about your strengths, your skills, and your unique talents. Just earlier today, my eldest son, who's 19, asked me, what do I think he's the best at? What what are some of the things I think he's good at? He's 19. He's on that path. 
And it was so apropos and synchronistic with the theme for tonight, which he knew nothing about. But that was a very wise thing he did, and I'm very proud he asked. And I relayed to him what I thought his strengths were. You know, so ask some close observers about your strengths, skills, and unique talents. What makes me unique? You have your own idea of why you're special and unique. But how do others see you? What do you think I do particularly well? Right? What is my strongest skill or characteristic? They may not nail your unique gift, but they will offer clues. It will be clues for you. The Most High puts people in our path for seasons and reasons and lessons and blessings. And if you call on the Spirit right before you ask the question of the ones that you're going to ask, of course, pray beforehand so that the Most High can send the intercessory through that person's tongue to you. Four, learn from assessments. There are numerous scientifically validated assessment tools that can help individuals determine key personality traits, interests, skills, and areas of expertise. And so online, like some of them you can find online, the Myers-Briggs test, the DISC test, and the CDR test, those are a few of them. One, you can go to my dash personality-test.com. Again, that's my-personality-test.com. And so it's a free 10-minute personality test that would allow you to learn more about your strengths or how you can achieve fulfillment in your professional and they claim romantic life. So this test was created in 1921 by Carl Jung, um, you know, and so what it does is that, and he worked with it with Isabel Briggs Myers and developed by Jung and developed their own theory of psychological types showcasing 16 personalities. Now, I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all. This is a vehicle, you know, with stops and starts, this, this, um, this way of finding out what your gifts are. You can you can go through different variables about this. So one of this is this personality test. And it's based upon sixteen personalities. And you know, a long time ago someone told me there's nothing but twenty spirits in the world and the rest of us are just, you know, playing characters. But um another one is personalitypath.com. Personality pathways, excuse me, personalitypathways.com. Again, that's personalitypathways.com. And so this website explores personality types and its application. And so they break down into four primary personality types, a dominant intuitive, a dominant sensing, a dominant thinking, and a dominant feeling type. Okay, so that's personalitypathways.com. And so you can use those assessments to help you on your journey. Um, five is create space. You have to create space for the inspiration, for the intuition, for the discernment, for that inner voice to be able to hear it and commune. So when you climb to the top of a tree, you see all the forest, but at the bottom, you only see a few trees. 
right? So you have to create some space in your life so that you have the opportunity to gain perspective. And this will help you determine the general direction you should be moving in, you know, um, which will then lead to a more defined path and eventually your own personal trail blazed with your unique gifts. You have to unclutter your life from activities, people, and things that keep you from having space. You have to unclutter your life, unclutter from energies that suck and drain, vampiric, sirens, (laughs) demons, that we're comfortable with, those so-called familiar spirits that we don't know are keeping us in this place of not growing and we're allowing it, right? In all those old movies, the devil couldn't come in or the vampire couldn't come in unless you open the door. It has to be invited. So it's up to you to close the door and take some space. You know, I'm blessed to have a very overstanding, understanding husband, Miguel. And, you know, there's been times when I've gone to a hotel for 24 hours. He knows the room number. He stopped by. But I just need to get my thoughts together, you know, with my iPad and work out some things. I'm a doer, and I just need a moment to get what I'm doing together. Because I have to be me regardless of being mommy and daughter and wife and friend and auntie and whatever. I still have to be me, and I have to fulfill whatever the most high put in me. So in order to have balance, you have to take that time. Even if, like, you know, nowadays they have this great, um, they opened up one in my town. There was one, like, two towns over. It's called Regis, right? And you can get a gold card to Regis, and you can use the employee, not the employee, um, the general Um, lounge area, workspace lounge area, where they have cubicles and couches. So you don't have to be at home. Um, You don't have to go to a library. You can go and use their open space. If you have a little bit more money, you can pay for an office by the hour. Get an office space for two hours. Sit there, work yourself out, figure out what you got to do away from home, away from friends, lovers, pets, whatever, just so that you're away enough that you have perspective. You have to create space. Um, Number six, and this is a little courageous now, you have to go solo. Solo, uno. This is the extreme of creating space. And if you find creating space in your daily life difficult, or if you have created space and are ready to go to the next level, go solo for a week. Go camping, find a cabin, a deserted island, like I said, a hotel room. It could be 15 minutes from your house, up the route, a La Quinta, I'm not, you know, whatever. Go sailing, be alone for a week, no distractions. Start listening. Start listening to that inner voice. And after you overcome the fear of being alone with yourself, that's when you're going to start to hear. You have to declutter, create space, and get so silent that it becomes loud. All right, number seven is journal. 
So write down your thoughts every day. Record observations, intuitions, feelings, shifts in perspective, right? Because you don't always feel the same way about a particular subject, and you can document and work out how that transition happened and what that meant for you and how that applies to any other areas within yourself, your psyche, your life. It's the thinking man that wins the race. Right? So your journal will begin to reveal patterns and those created by common threads that represent areas of strong interest, awareness of special skills, and a natural draw towards certain people, places, and purposes. Right? Because if you see, if you're documenting and you're really like reflecting, because that's what it's about, it's about self reflection. You know, looking in the internal mirror. And you see patterns within your own self, how things play out with the people that you interact with. Do they always end the same way? Do they always begin the same way? Are they always made um, during certain types of activities? And the people you've met during those activities, do you really like them? (laughs) That may be, you know, something telling you, okay, I'm not, that, that doesn't work for me. Every time I go there, I bump my head. You know, so you have to write down and be honest with yourself. And eight, you know, release the genie, right? Imagine that you brush a magic lamp, right, and out pops a genie. And the genie says, I am here to grant you 20 experiences of your choosing to be enjoyed Sometime in your lifetime, what would your list look like? What are the top 20 experiences? Not places to go, people to meet. The top 20 experiences you want to have, right? What would they look like? So this list represents more clues, okay? And these experiences represent your true values and your interests, and your passions, okay? These experiences represent your true values, your true interests, and your passions. And then give yourself at least one of these experiences to have soon. Like make it a to-do. Book it, right? Put the down payment on it, whatever you have to do. Lay away it. Okay, number nine, re-engineer your job. You don't have to switch jobs or your profession to find or honor your unique gift. All right? Through Through those things, you can find different possibilities within the job that you already have. So start by pulling out your current job description. Okay, and identify everything you really enjoy doing. Everything that you really enjoy doing and everything that you have to do, but you would prefer not to do. Right? What would you prefer not to do? Next, identify items that are not part of your job description that you would like to do within the functionality of that corporation, that division, that department, 
or even outside of it. And now that you've distinguished the wants from the shoulds, start to rebuild your job into the perfect job. Okay? You can go inside, you can go outside, you can go roundabout. There's no boxes. You can go right through. Forget the maze. Be one with self. Okay? Re-engineer, renegotiate. Negotiate yourself and what you will settle for and what will do for you and what will not do for you. And watch how that, just the just the ownership of that changes the magnet all of the all of the different, you know, um ways that you magnetize things to you. It'll just happen in a synchronistic manner once you take ownership of your gift and what it is you stand for and it'll it'll just enhance your integrity. It'll just enhance your self worthiness. It'll enhance your love for the ones around you. Because as you go on this journey, it'll make you look at others and see their gifts and smile. And want to encourage them to develop those things within themselves as well. And so 10 is butterfly projects. You know that feeling you get of joyful anticipation as you look forward to a special event or a day? Like Christmas morning, you know, some people have Christmas morning. I have those memories as a child. I don't celebrate Christmas now, but it was just the anticipation, that butterflies feeling that I'm trying to, um, you know, emit for you to understand where I'm coming from. Or your birthday as a child, or getting ready for a vacation, you know, um, daydreaming in school when you were young on the first warm day of spring. You know, these are positive butterflies in contrast to those you get from nervous anticipation. So have you ever had positive butterflies while thinking about a project? Got you excited. You got that nervous energy, that electricity that runs through you, emphasizing your magnetism, waiting for you to give it a command, right? That's what it's doing. In the cartoons, they call it spidey senses, right? special project at work, or it could even be coaching your child's soccer team or fixing up the yard or volunteering at church or organizing some kind of outing or looking forward to a quiet day with the book or preparing for a marathon, which butterflies might represent your gift, you know? If it's cozying up with the book, you know, maybe your gift is editing. Maybe your your gift is writing book reviews. Maybe your gift is writing the book. Right? There's levels. And there's not only one path. There are many to choose from. There's choices. You know? There's a stanza from a poem I wrote. And it goes, the carelessness in chances, the carelessness of chances, the carelessness with chances, right? Of, in, and with the chances. The chances to express the Most High's gift in you, 
One can't be careless. Okay, you can't. You have to take it seriously. You have to covet it, right? First Corinthians fourteen. Um, sorry, first First Corinthians twelve. Covet it earnestly. Okay, so just to retrace, it's one revisit your childhood. Two, get lost in the present. Take time to daydream. Um, three, ask others. Four, learn from assessments. Five, create space. Six, go solo. Seven, journal about it. Eight, release the genie. What are the 20 experiences of your choosing that you would like to be granted? And make one a priority on there and make it happen within the next three to six months. Re-engineer your job or your career. Okay, that's number nine. And 10, what gives you butterflies? All right, those are 10 ways to discover your unique gift. And you can also, again, like I said, take personality assessment tests at my-personality-test.com. Again, that's my-personality-test.com. And the other one was personalitypathways.com. Again, that's personalitypathways.com. And so um, I wanted to touch briefly on the gifted adult, right? It was talking about the gifted child. There's also gifted adults. And some of these gifted adults were gifted children but wasn't told they were gifted, wasn't nurtured as gifted, but they were nonetheless gifted. And they have these abilities. Still, embers in a fire, they're still there. And so I wanted to touch on the qualities, right? So there are three types of gifted. There's strivers. Those are high testers and teacher pleasers, right? You have superstars. They're great at everything. You know, they're stereotypical. Their IQ is 130 plus. You know, um, the strivers are like 115 to 130. Then you have the independents. And they're creative, intellectual, only interested in their own pursuits. And they become inventors or they become serial employees. Okay? And a lot of times, and they have an IQ of 115 plus, and a lot of times they drop out of things. And they're really, really smart, but they just can't even deal with the dramatics of whatever is going on because their mind is working on a higher level and those mundane trivialities, you know, stop them from moving forward within that framework. So gifted behaviors are speed, curiosity and energy, sensitivity, sophisticated humor, and being different, right? So masking masking your giftedness. A lot of people fall into that. You know, it's it's not in some areas. It's not cool to be too smart or to lead and lead the important conversations, right? People don't like to stand out. You know, it causes all eyes to turn in that direction. So they'll mask their wisdom and their knowing and their ability sometimes to their own detriment. You know, so by the age of six, gifted people have started to decide how much of themselves they will show 
to the world by the age of six and how much they will hide behind a mask. So the different types of masks are they conform, right, or they're the extra cute people. Um, They're the extra manipulative. (laughs) They mask it by being very helpful. Or sometimes it's the really nasty, mean ones and turn out to be geniuses, right? They're just upset that they can't express what they really are. And, um, or they get, you know, lost in drugs. They become the druggie. That every now and then you see them and they got some extra deep words for you. And you're like, why is he always so drugged out? It's he's such a smart person, you know? And, or, or they play dumb too much. It's okay once in a while to play fool to catch wise. But they just to play dumb all the time just to avoid responsibility, accountability, you know, and sometimes culpability that goes along with being intelligently assertive and authoritative, um, refusing to mask. You know, that's another one. That's the best one. Just letting it go and being who you are. Be you till full. That's what that word really means, right? Be you till full. You have to get full of you. You're God's creation. Why not? It's okay. Post to play small to make other people comfortable. Now, I'm not saying to go out and be braggadocious and ostentatious. But just be yourself. Unexpurgated, unabridged, you know. You can edit. Edit shows sophistication in class. But be yourself. Refuse the mask. And if you see your child who is gifted and shows signs of giftedness, start to extra conform, doing the cutesy stuff in a manipulative way. (laughs) You know how your children can do that sometimes, you know. Pay attention. You know, and gifted as parents. A common problem in families with gifted children is that the parents are gifted but don't know it. How do you think your child got gifted? (laughs) They just magically came out gifted like that. Oh, my God, he's so... Because that that came from you, from you and the partner that you conjoined with to make this person. So there are so many gifted adults that are just putting all their energy into their gifted child as opposed to expressing their own giftedness as an example to the child who's gifted. So it makes things worse at the fact that the gifted life cycle tends to be rhythmic, Instead of linear, like I was talking about, that circle of people who are never nourished as gifted, who who are gifted, and then have a gifted child, and then, you know, they don't recall or recognize their own giftedness to know how to relate to their gifted child, because they've never expressed it. So it's a circular rhythmic pattern of nothingness really being accomplished as far as freedom within the spirit of the Most High being displayed and manifested daily. Through the entities created. Right? So gifted fathers are serial employment. They always keep a job. They have high needs for play. Those kind of men get very excited. They're very excitable. Um, Gifted males sometimes um, conflict between family responsibilities and personal needs. Because they're gifted, they have those creative things that they need to, you know, tangibly do. 
outside of the family structure and they're not able to express it because they're consumed with the family and there's no balance of, okay, I need some me time, whether it's an hour at Regis or at the library or in the basement, the man cave, whatever, the office in the house, something where he gets a moment to figure out who and what he is and where he's going. Of course, it's going to include the family if he's a part of the family structure, but the woman needs that as well. And so um, this conflict impacts male children especially. All right. So with gifted mothers, the balancing societal expectations and personal growth leads to a, a major conflict. I've experienced that, you know, even when I have taken those moments to go to, you know, a hotel for 24, 48 hours, I did feel guilt. But I know that, I mean, that saying is true. You know, if mommy's not happy, nobody's happy. It's called rational selfishness. There is some selfishness that's rational. I'm bitter and bugged out and stressed and only giving, 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 waking up, making dinner, making breakfast, making lunch, you know, teaching, you know, loving, nurturing, being on top of every appointment for everybody in the house, right? That's what the woman does. When is there time for you? What was you put here to do besides that? That's just a natural thing. It's natural to be a mother. It's natural to be a wife. It was made for that. Easy, but it's natural. But there's more to you than that. There's more to me than that. You know? So that's a major conflict, but you have to remember that term, rational selfishness. Now, don't take it too far. But, you know, <laughs> you know, you can try it out biannually, quarterly, you know, 24 hours, half a day, four hours, something, you know, one hour a week, one hour a day, good moment, you know, and if the needs aren't met, mothers often over control the children, living through them rather than dealing with their own issues. Because the mother's giftedness was never expressed. She wants to see her child do it, you know, so she's putting all her everything into the child instead of and putting all the pressure as if it's them. And, and, you know, and the child doesn't deserve that. And so then their giftedness gets, you know, riddled with trauma and tears and expectations as opposed to just organic development. And we've probably all been guilty of that. But this is, you know, when you know better, do better, right? When you know better, do better. It's really that simple. Now that you know better, do better, you know? Because, I mean, it's, you know, they have people that vicariously live through your children, and it's okay to, you know, root for your child and be there for your child, but they have to also, and, of course, give structure, you know? And maintain a discipline. But there has to be time for organics, for organic development and growing and figuring out what it is your specialness, where 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 it resides and how it can be put into play. So the best thing that gifted parents could do is provide stimulation, both verbal and nonverbal, serve as positive role models 
on meeting your own gifted needs in an often hostile world, right? Live by example. You know, you're pushing that child to do so much, but you're not doing it. You haven't done it. Now with wisdom, you have an idea of how you would have done it if you was a child, so then you're putting that on your child, overstand. But children often do what they see and not what we say. What we say comes into play when they get grown. But in the meantime, in the between time, they do what they see. Okay? And then understand that balance between emotional and intellectual needs must be maintained. Even if it's unpleasant for the parent or the child. Because your child could be so used to having you around that they have this big, oh, I can't even leave him because or her because she cries and no babysitter. Look, you need a moment. You need a moment, Mommy. You need that moment to be the example that he or she that you've made needs to see. And same for you, Daddy. You have to. You have to understand the balance between emotional and intellectual needs. And it must be maintained, even if it's unpleasant. And what gifted parents can't do is try to slow down or stifle a child's need for stimulation and expression. Like, this child is so gifted at that, but whatever it is, is getting on your nerves. Well, then you need to find a way that they could do it outside the home under the tutelage of someone that can appreciate and nurture that. And then get mature enough to let them do it for a certain time during the week, a certain hour of the day or something like that, or a certain day of the week. You can't stifle or slow it down because it's going to make you have to step up. That's not cool. I've seen people do that before. And from the outside looking in, it's like, wow, you're really whack, you know? (laughs) Or pull away or disapprove of the child as a person. Because you may not agree with how big this gift is and what the effect may have. You may impose your fears on that child. And so what's happening in the school system, just on a different level, You know, research shows that three stages in the interaction of the gifted child with the educational system, and, you know, it's confusion, right? And and K2 Gifted discovers that their way of doing things is not the way the majority works, and the majority runs the show. And so if the majority is taking 20 minutes to get through the problem, and you're taking five, or three, <laughs> that child becomes confused, right? And then they then, then they then know that they're different. And gifted and non-gifted agree that giftedness begins to make a difference for them in the third or fourth grade. They're able to sense and discern by the third or fourth grade that they're different and that the smartness is what's making them different. And then so frustration sets in sometimes. You know, active disillusionment with school system, you know, that starts to set in around middle school. And then um, if they're really not put in a lot of different activities and their gifts aren't being strengthened on a regular basis, um, the, the backside of that is rebellion or withdrawal. You know, in middle school, the frustration leads many gifted children to rebel against the system and demand that their needs be met. Um, 
or they disengage or turn off their intellect. And this is the highest dropout rate for people, you know, in gifted programs. They disengage and they turn off. Because it's not being done on, on an organic level. You know, they're not, they're not even taught about the internal voice. <laughs> and so by high school, gifted people have decided how they will deal with their giftedness and what coping skills they'll employ to deal with the world. You know, the easy out. Some people, you know, when they're really smart, they talk their way out of things. Or they manipulate people, like I said before. You know, um, they use others. Right? So then in the turbulent 20s, gifted people take twice as long to become comfortable with themselves as adults. Right? It takes them 12 years rather than six. And gifted people have two types of reaction to environmental surroundings, very narrow, focused with stimulation needed only periodically, or they are very broad focused and they need constant stimulation and constantly be doing something, you know? So the tasks that are needed to transition to adulthood is to recognize your giftedness and value it for yourself, to meet your own needs regardless of outside pressures, and avoid becoming so caught up in the hunt for new things that doors that that you just end up like shutting doors and not having a lot of options. You can't be a jack of all trades and master of none, just to put it simply. You know, you're constantly searching for the new thing, and yeah, I. I figured that out, I figured that out, I figured that out, but what are you great at? You know? You have to be a master of some kind of trade or craft or act or or pursuit, you know? And so for our gifted child that's growing up and going through high school and middle school and all those different stages, once they get to college, it's very important for the gifted child to stay on campus Right, so that they can be up in it and not into the broad spectrum of things of the of the city or town that the school is located, because they can get lost in that. It's important to meet the professors and know everybody by name, you know, and to have a broad range of courses or an ability to create their own major. A lot of schools are offering that now. You could sit down, and I think that's wonderful. That's a that's a brand new development since about 2015, I believe. Well, you can sit down with certain schools. Um, I should have, maybe I'll find out the names of them for next week's show. Um, ja willing that the names of the schools that actually allow you to create your own major. That's something worthy of looking into. Just, you know, type that in, in, in um, any search engine, what colleges allow to, of creation of major, right? Um, now, the serial employee Going back to the, you know, the gifted male, what they tend to be, you know, the key to successful work life for, for, for the gifted is finding the kind of work, not job, the kind of work one needs to do, and then finding situations in a job where it can be done. So understand that. You want to find the kind of work you need to do that fulfills you and your purpose in the most high, right? And then find a situation where that job can be done. Okay, so, I mean, I've been telling both my sons that I hope they're paying attention, you know, you, 
whatever it is you love doing, you find a way to monetize that, to make it plain and simple. Monetize your gift. God gave it to you for a reason. Live it, love it, do it, be it, get paid from it. You know, so there are three keys to being gifted and happy on the job. The three keys are finding a day-to-day level of stimulation, which provides challenge and newness, right? A day-to-day level of stimulation that provides challenge and newness. Um, The ability to move to new areas of work when challenge of present area wears off, right? Like you're over it, you figured it out, you know. And so once you've done it, then you can move on. You need that kind of ability within the job. And also the ability to create your own work environment. You're not stuck in a cubicle all day, um, forced to conform, you know, like a robot to everyone else and the entire floor's movements and things like that. So um, gifted in the workplace, some problems and some solutions, right? So the major problem at work for gifted people is a desire to go beyond their place. And so this threatens, embarrasses, and angers bosses and coworkers. Now, I experienced that personally. Um, years ago, maybe about 15 years ago, I used to be a caseworker for welfare. And I was also a job opportunity specialist for welfare or the Human Resources Administration, the more, you know, um, appropriate title. And so I found the job very easy. And it was it was just repetitive. It was the same form, same group of forms for each action. It was different groups, but I, I it was easy to memorize what groups they were. It wasn't something that was hard for me. And so I used to do, I kind of started group recertification. <laughs> so they had people who were on welfare and they had to recertify. And they would schedule them for Saturday. So I would go for Saturday overtime. I wanted that overtime money, eight hours at time and a half over stand. So I would go in and it'd be like 300 people and I didn't want to be there till eight o'clock at night. I just wanted to be there till like three or five o'clock, you know, and going with my Saturday. And so I had the idea because, I mean, I was a firm believer that anybody that if you ever out there listening, worked for welfare or been on welfare, most people in this world are two paychecks away from it. OK, two to three to most. A lot of folks don't have three to six months savings in the bank. So I never turned my nose up at anybody that came into that office. And so I went to the waiting area, and first I asked the director if she mind if I did group research. She's like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, well, if they don't mind each other hearing each other business and me taking their forms at one time, I could take four or five people at a time. And they can get out of here and not be here all day, and I can get out of here. She was like, sure, I've never seen that before. If, if the clients go for it, go for it. I went outside and I made the general announcement. Anyone here that mind having a group research? That's where you sit in a group. I collect your information, do your cases. I could try to get you out of here faster. People raised their hand and volunteered. My supervisor, my coworkers all got upset with me. I didn't realize I was young then. I was like in my early 20s, you know, zealous, earnest, all that good stuff, believing in the world still before my heart got broken by it. But then it was, you know, healed and love back up by the most high. But during that time, I still had that enthusiasm for helping people. And I believed my job was, you know, effective and I wanted to be effective at it. And so I didn't realize the hateration that was going to come with being thorough. It comes. 
because it 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 just threatens and embarrasses them. Okay, but you can't worry about that because <laughs> I did, and I ended up getting two promotions in one year. But I did feel bad, and my feelings were hurt for like a good, you know couple of hours and then I got over it once I realized what had happened I was like wow you know I thought my coworkers were cool and I wasn't trying to show them up that wasn't my intent and I thought that they would have known that about me because I grew you know I worked there for so long but nevertheless it made them have to then what step up their show step up their work effort and being so young I didn't realize that at the time Okay, so I'm just letting you know what to encounter or what, or maybe you have already encountered it, you know, giving confirmation. And so um, research says that the best way to use a gifted worker is to allow them to contribute to any task being asked of them. Allow them to job hop. I ended up doing that at one time at one of my jobs. I was allowed to do that, and that was a blessing, and I really enjoyed that time at that location. Um, allow them to job hop within the organization and also allow flex time and telecommuting. So if you can find something within your passion, within your gift that is telecommuting, that is even better, you know, because then you just get, you, you could work in your pajamas, you could work in your living room, you could work anywhere outside in the park, anywhere you get Wi-Fi, you can make it happen. So that's wonderful. I used to have flex time. I love that, you know, like you're not late unless, you know, you, you work between 8.30 and 9.30. You have that whole hour to get into work, and then you leave between 4.30 and 5.30. You know, whatever time you came in is the time that you would leave eight hours later. And it wasn't like a strict 9 to 5 that used to bother me. So I loved flex time. Um, the dark side of giftedness is, um, you know, estimates place as much as 20%, 20% of the prison population is gifted. Overstand that. 20% of the prison population is gifted. And um, reasons is that there, you know, a lot of nonconformists choose crime. They call themselves fighting against the system or they enjoy what's known as the thrill of the hunt, right? And so how to keep the gifted nonconformists from being a criminal, right? is to make sure that the worldview is not distorted, you know, um, provide positive stimulation and still realistic understanding and overstanding of consequences. And um, a way to rehabilitate a gifted criminal, if you had one that came home, you know, is to give them strong, have a strong support system for them, you know, of other gifted type people so that they're coming home to that, you know, the people with that kind of mind, especially if they went in gifted, once they went in, you know, they read a thousand books. That's what they do in there, right? They read books, so then he now they're even more intellectually gifted, and then they have that stigma of being a felon on top of that, you know? So that can help rehabilitate as giving a strong support system of other gifted ones, having, you know, organizations or book clubs or things like that that they're attached to that they go to so that they stay around people, that their brain could be stimulated in a positive way. Um, proper positive stimulation, you know, finding meaningful work for them, something that really utilizes whatever their gift is. And so um, gifted people often struggle with finding meaningful relationships, and the struggle is caused by their intense processing of differences. 
you know, sometimes they struggle to, struggle to, to um, connect with their average peers because um, it's hard to explain the difference between how they think and everyone else does. Or dealing with intense sensory thought input requires downtime to process, you know. And people misinterpret that as you withdrawing. But you just need, again, like I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, you need that time alone, right? And you see it as a positive thing, and they may view it as, an, as, a, as a negative thing. So um, the biggest emotional problem is finding someone who thinks like them and has the same type of passions. So it's important, like, you know, um, a lot of my single, you know, um, women friends, you know, I always encourage to take, you know, like take photography classes, things that, you know, find hobbies, things that you enjoy doing, you know, and in that you may meet somebody else that's like-minded within that hobby, within that expression of, you know, giftedness within you, as opposed to like the club or the bar or things like that, you know. There are many ways that you can fulfill yourself and fulfill God's purpose in you along the way through classes and meetings and interactions and fellowshipping in which those kind of connections and friends can be made, you know. Um, and so being in marriage... Often, you know, gifted people sometimes start dating late between 18 and 21, you know, um, and they struggle to find relationships with the real peer because they feel like, you know, they're smarter than the others. Right. And gifted women especially seem to settle for non-gifted partners. The divorce rate is two to three times higher for them than non-gifted women. Okay, the key for a happy marriage for gifted is a partner that wants to help the person grow, especially intellectually and creatively. And a partner that wants to grow, understand, you know, intellectually and creatively. And that it's okay with the need for for the alone time, you know. You have to be secure enough in the relationship to allow for alone time. And the way that you do that is by having your own alone time so that you can be secure in yourself, overstand, you know. And so um, some steps to finding true friends and partners is, you know, go to different kinds of support groups, like I said, organizations that, you know, impose um, that, you know, that, that people are exploring their whimsy, whatever it may be, you know, whether it be calligraphy or, you know, book clubs, like I said before, or, you know, art, painting. Um, there's a jazz club near my house, and on Sundays they have, you know, like jazz workshops and, you know, and and wine, and people do open mic, if it's open mic poetry, whatever it is. You can find an outlet or a group, especially if you look in your local paper and the community section. They always have listings for every kind of, you know, people that just come and talk about local local events, people that discuss global events, people that just discuss stuff that's happening in Italy or it's just or just Ethiopian news or whatever it may be, you know, you have to get around like minded ones, you know, and so you want to find places and activities that attract other gifted people. Okay? And so for gifted senior citizens, right? Because just because you get older, the gift doesn't go away, right? So for gifted senior citizens, the need for curiosity and stimulation and accomplishment does not die down as the gifted age. Gifted seniors often seem like starting as if they're starting a second life and doing the things they couldn't do before. 
You know, a lot of them were quote unquote superstars because of their famous success. And they find this easiest to do. So gifted seniors often struggle with the non-gifted peers who have no interest in the big questions or taking any risks, you know, in those latter phases of life. So, you know, they're surrounded by people that are just like, I've been there, done that, and don't want to do it anymore, or, or I'm too tired to, and they still have that spark of intellect and stimulation in their mind. So even for those those are the ones that really need to get involved in, you know, institutions and boards and committees that are making changes and implement things where they can have an impact with the glory of the Most High within them manifesting on all those streams, right? And so, you know, senior, you know, um, senior is to avoid traditional senior living centers. They need to avoid those because they really provide opportunities for their giftedness to come out, you know. So gifted seniors um, need to stay independent as long as possible and maintain strong family ties. And um, also, you know, community and social agencies, you know, they can get involved with and develop mentorships where they can then mentor younger ones, you know, and have a stake in the next generations, you know, um, being raised, right? And, um continually refuse to accept any limitations because of your age, you know, as long as it's not something that's going to harm you. But if you still feel like going for it, go for it, you know, lead by example, you know, because the ones under who are gifted need to see that, you know, like I was saying about my mother last week who, you know, got um, appointed to the senior committee advisory board for my township. That was so inspiring for me, you know, that here she is still dipping and doing it, you know, and I want to still be able to do it too, you know, when I'm an elder stateswoman, you know, and so, um, and so it's, we have to, you know, really increase our awareness of our own giftedness and how that in turn made our child gifted, you know, and think about those different ways that you discover your gifts and then implement that also with your children so that they don't have such a hard way, you know. So it's important to have that reflective time and to teach our children to reflect because we're so busy looking out, you know, that we have to stand strong in who we are and listen to the inner voice, create that space so that the Most High can speak to us. And we can move on to the next level, you know, and monetize those gifts so that the transference of power could really happen on this planet. Because we have all the evil ones, you know, usurping and pimping out real people's talent and getting paid off of it. You know, so don't think that you need to be so humble as to not get paid for what, you know, is in you. It's okay. It's supposed to be that way as far as I'm concerned. That's the only way the shift is going to happen. But that's going to happen with the help of the Most High. And that's the part we can't forget. Forget that. Um, 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve, even, even so ye for as much as ye are zealous of, of, um, of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Right? And the church is the body of the Most High. So even though you're so zealous, always edify it. 
edify it for the Most High's glory. And the blessings will come raining down. Raining down. So we're going to take a music moment, and we'll come back with the Goenosis. Stand strong and flat-footed in who you are. Take ownership of your gifts.
Yes, I give strength to the youth and give strength to yourself while you're at it, okay? And I just wanted to remind ones to sign up for a free account at Blog Talk Radio. So you can join us in the chat room, which is going live. If you go to blogtalkradio.com backslash LOJ Society to tonight's show that's going on live, you will see the contents of those ones that are chatting in the chat room. And you can join if you have a free account with Blog Talk Radio. You also get 30 minutes a month of free airtime that you can use and not use to display your own gift, whatever that may be. That's right. However you may choose. Okay, so step up within yourself and manifest the most high glory outside of yourself onto the world through these airwaves. So we're going to go forward into the go and gnosis. I want to... um. Tell one to go to Rastafari.tv. It's an excellent, they're featuring a, a, um, a lecture by Dr. Claude Anderson, Safari.tv. Now, Dr. Claude Anderson, Paranomics is a new concept developed by Dr. Anderson, and it's to examine race and to explain it to those who seek truth from an unvarnished historical perspective. Race is a difficult issue to examine, and it usually invokes political correctness, emotion, and personal antidotes. Paranomics is a factual, and, and it's based on the analysis of history. In Paranomics, Dr. Anderson teaches how to practice capitalism in our society that is based on capitalism. Okay? Dr. Anderson teaches how to practice capitalism in our society that is based on capitalism. He offers black America specific principles, strategies, and activities to use to own and control resources to produce group wealth. Okay? He teaches principles, strategies, and activities to use to own and control resources. That's That's the power play right there. Okay, and to produce group wealth and become more self-sufficient and economically competitive, to change behavior and to establish systems of accountability. This is at Rastafari.tv. 
they are featuring it on their front page last time I checked, and it's called Paranomics by Dr. Claude Anderson. So um, Paranomics can build a productive and healthy black America that strengthens the country as a whole, or you could take that knowledge and go wherever you want in the world. Okay, and learn how to use, own, and control resources, produce group wealth, and become more self-sufficient and, and economically competitive, and to change your behaviors and establish a system of accountability for yourself and for your actions. So check out Dr. Claude Anderson. All right. Um, also in the going gnosis um, from the artnewspaper.com, the British Museum permanently installed its first Caribbean art commission. Zach Ove Moko's Jumbi sculptures now stand in the Africa galleries. So um, Zach Ove Moko Jumbi is the first Caribbean art to be commissioned at the British Museum. So big up for that. Um, President Trump signs a bill killing Internet privacy protection. So, you know, you may have you may have received a new software update notification on your smartphones this morning. If you didn't, you will receive an update notification soon. The new software update is most likely in response to an executive order signed by President Trump on Monday that overturns Internet privacy protections put in place by former President Obama before he left office. Trump's executive order nullifies privacy protection rules signed by Barack Obama in his final days as president. Obama's rules would have required Internet service providers, ISPs, such as AT&T, Verizon, and Comcast, to get your permission before collecting and selling your data. The new bill allows the ISPs and the tech companies to track your web surfing habits, scan your emails and text messages, and sell that data to advertising companies without your permission. So, so far, President Trump has done everything he promised he would do. But this executive order isn't sitting well, even with his most loyal supporters. So, according to White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, the new bill creates an equal playing field between Internet service providers and tech companies, as well as providing hundreds of new jobs. And he claims that Obama's flawed privacy rules, which never went into effect, were designed to benefit one group of favorite companies, not online consumers. So um, ticking the do not track in the Internet browser setting is useless, since the ISPs and Internet companies can now track your surfing behavior. So that do not track button has now been rendered useless. What I would personally suggest is getting something like Cloak. Look that up. It's called Cloak, and um, it will give you privacy on your Wi-Fi wherever you go. You know, I used to find I, I, I didn't like giving airports and all those type of places. You know, it's a system of cloaking your 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 um your VPN, where you're located and who you are within your system, and still being able to go on the internet freely. It doesn't slow it down. They have other companies besides Cloak. But check it out because now your information's out there and for sale, and everybody's checking out every text, <laughs> every website you go to, every Instagram thing you like, every tweet, and it's being sold. Okay, so just overstand and protect yourself by getting something like Cloak. They need to um, sponsor this show, right? So, thehill.com talks about O'Reilly 
um, he mocked Maxine Waters for wearing a James Brown wig. Fox News host Bill O'Reilly said Tuesday that he did not hear a word that Representative Maxine Waters of California, an African-American woman, said during recent comments on the House floor because he was focused on the James Brown wig she was wearing. Now, I take issue with this for two reasons. One, because, you know, I personally don't like wigs. I don't, you know, if, if a woman wants to wear it, that's her choice. Like I said, I personally don't like wigs, you know. Um, there was a time in my life that I did experiment with wigs, and that's how I realized I didn't like it. It made my head hot. I felt like my scalp needed oxygen for my hair to grow, and it itched, and it, it felt like a hat. That was my personal experience. Some women love it. They're probably, like, thinner now, you know, all these years later. And But he went there with it, you know. And then he said, I love her. Maxine Waters should have her own sitcom. How disrespectful. The O'Reilly Factor host joked on Fox and Friends when he asked about the longtime congresswoman questioning the patriotism of President Trump's supporters in a speech on Monday. People get angry with Maxine get angry with Maxine Waters. I want more of it, he said. O'Reilly was shown the clip of Waters saying Trump supporters turned a blind eye to the destruction that the president was about to cause on the country. African-Americans fight against this president, and we point out how dangerous he is for this society and for this country. We're fighting for the democracy, Waters declared. We're saying to those who say they're patriotic, but they've turned a blind eye to the destruction that he's about to cause this country. You're not nearly as patriotic as we are. O'Reilly appeared to be amused in a split screen of Waters saying afterwards he didn't hear a word she said because he was distracted by her James Brown wig. You know, and then he goes on to say it's the same one, and he's not using it anymore. They just finally buried him in it. I mean, he went in, you know. So as a result of that happening, now 21 companies, praise the most high, have pulled ads from the O'Reilly factor and a growing backlash. Mercedes-Benz, Hyundai, you know, BMW of North America, a lot of major companies, Ainsworth Pet Nutrition, you know, the parent company of the Rachel Ray partner dog food brand um, Nutrish, you know, lots of companies joined in. So, so far, it's 21 companies and counting. Hopefully, they keep going. Orkin drops, you know, the Orkin um, bug guy. The Orkin people pulled out as well. Healthcare companies, e-commerce company, Wayfair, where you can get furniture from. So this is really wonderful that these companies, that these corporations that are normally against, you know, took offense. And so now he's having what I call Bill Cosby effect. And so because Maxine Waters mentioned in a CNN um, interview following this um, scandal of him saying such things about her and her hair and James Brown and such, um, she mentioned how, you know, in the past he was accused and how he paid and did out-of-court settlements for um, sexually harassing women and damn near raping women. And so now you have like 11 women coming out and they're all suing him with the two women that always fight the feminist causes, those two lawyers, I can't remember their name. And, you know, but but you know what I'm talking about if you watch the news sometimes. And so now they're, they're now suing him. So hopefully this will be the, the bringing down of Bill O'Reilly. And so... Harvard University students have started an anti-Trump resistance school 
to fight Trump agenda. I'm curious as to how they got the funding for this. You know, like who is ultimately behind? So the school at Kennedy Business School, this anti-Trump resistance school, it's an actual school. It's going to be at the Kennedy Business School in Massachusetts, will teach students how to resist the Trump agenda. I found this very interesting. It's a four-week course, and it's free, and classes are open to anyone, and all classes are full as of now. The co-founder of the school says it was born out of outrage and despair. So the school aptly named Resistance School isn't an official part of Kennedy College, you know, and you won't get any Ivy League credits, but it does promise to teach activism how to resist the president in a four-week course. So it says that its goal is to effectively fight Trump's agenda. And the Resistance School um, is a practical training program that will sharpen the tools we needed to fight back at federal, state, and local levels. I think this is a really good idea, not just for Trump resistance, but just for all kinds of, you know, information to make movements as a community. You know, we need more community classes because people don't know how to effectuate change on even grassroots level. It's very foreign. Only like the old timers know, and they're few and far in between, and they're bitter by the lack of backup that they thought they would have and could have had when they were trying to make changes. And, you know, that, again, is another rhythmic cycle, you know. So this is a great idea. So if anyone's out there, you know, you find us in your gift to teach, you know, and, you know, have and, and, and have a knack for activism, this kind of idea could be replicated, you know. You don't have to recreate the wheel. The resistance school. Um, so our goal is to keep the embers of resistance alive through concrete learning, community engagement, and forward-looking act, um, action, the school website says. And so the course is open to anyone worldwide. It takes place at the, at the Kennedy School of Government on the campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, and it started with a couple of students chatting with a couple of professors, having a sense of outrage and despair, and began feeling overwhelmed and exhausted with the question of what are we going to do after the election? So the school will include staff from the Obama, Bernie, and Hillary presidential campaigns. Can you get this? <laughs> they are, we're about to see a whole show. It's going to be sideshows and circus acts. Just say, you know. But just always look behind the veil, all right? So progressives have been actively protesting Trump's presidency and have adopted the term resist to describe their activism. So the courses have turned out to be popular with all four sessions full. The sessions will feature historian and activist Timothy McCartley, grassroots activist Sarah L. Amin, grassroots activist Marshall Gantz, and a former campaign aide to Obama, and current New York State Assemblyman Michael Blake. So the classes include how to communicate our values and political advocacy. That's a great idea, how to communicate our values in political advocacy and how to mobilize and organize our, compu our um, communities. So schools and sessions start on April 5th, okay? So they have an anti-Trump resistance school, and people are signed up. And so states that have legalized marijuana write to the attorney general over fears of a crackdown on the legal marijuana trade. Four Democratic governors have written to Trump's administration seeking a continuation of federal latitude on marijuana policy. 
The states have legalized recreational pot use and are seeking to maintain a policy that avoids strict enforcement and federal anti-drug laws. They're trying to have, you know, show some forethought and just establish whatever it is as opposed to waiting for an avalanche of arrests and whatever. They're trying to get the president to give a tell, okay, to show and tell. So the governors of Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska all signed. And so the changes would divert existing marijuana products into the black market and endanger the states. That's what they're stating. So the governments, so the governors are lobbying to keep the status quo. And so because the new attorney general, um, Jeff Sessions, has taken a critical, use, um, a critical view of marijuana use. And just in some news that's going to affect people locally, um, another store is going to be closing. They're going to be closing Payless. Payless stores filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and they're going to be closing nearly 400 stores throughout the U.S. as it struggles to compete with online retailers. So um, that's going to be a lot of people unemployed. And again, this is going back into the Internet of Things. And so Payless is not the only American mainstream chain to begin closing stores. Macy's has closed hundreds. Sears, JCPenney, and Kmart have all announced closures this year. And um, last but not least, in going Gnosis, I wanted to talk about um, the habits that are making your partner consider divorce. And you probably have no idea you're doing them. I found this in the dailymail.co.uk, in the dailymail.com. And um, it says that experts say that, they, that there's habits that could be forcing your partner to consider divorce. It includes um, such things as prioritizing, prioritizing others. When things become more important, such as family, friends, careers, and personal personal pursuits, like I talked about before, having balance, you have to have you have to find the balance if something suffers, and your mate can't be out of that balance, you know, because your marriage may start to wobble. So make your relationship a top priority by putting each other first before everything else, and your marriage will thank you for it later. Okay, bad mouthing each other to others. Don't badmouth each other to your family and friends. Of course, we all need to live in the realms of reality, but there will be times that you need to let off some steam, but um, there are other times you need to just keep your mouth shut and deal with your problems, you know, and figure it out like a grown-up. Trying to control each other, you know, don't tell each other what to eat, wear, say, act, or dress. In fact, don't try to control your partner. Firstly, you can't, and secondly, it will lead to resentment. And if you don't want a divorce, stay accountable and take responsibility for the part you play in the relationship, whether it's good or bad. You know what I mean? That's the first step of recovery, right, is admitting you have a problem in the first place. And not keeping up with your own interests, that goes back to the theme for tonight. You know, whether it's your weekly exercise class or your regular catch-up with friends, keep it up. You know, no one person can fulfill all your social, emotional, and psychological needs. Don't neglect your own self-care. And nobody wants some clingy person that just needs them for everything, you know? I mean, at least when you go out and do other things, you have something new to talk about. You know, it keeps you exciting, right? Don't neglect your own self-care and don't stop doing things which bring you joy. 
back to tonight's theme, right? And then also not respecting your partner's boundaries. You know, um, all habits are tolerable until it crosses one person's boundaries. You know, so to be able, I mean, because sometimes the habits start off as endearing and then they become annoying. So it's it's time that that's when it's time that's when it's time to have the chat with them, you know, and to and to express how you feel that it's annoying, not letting it all build up, and not having manners. Just because you share the same bed doesn't mean you have to stop having manners in the privacy of your home. You know, be able to say thank you and please. And I, you know, oh, I appreciate that. Those are wonderful things coming from either partner. You know, and when our partners do something nice, show appreciation and be sincere in your effort to make them happy, like they're being sincere in their effort to make you happy. And don't sulk all the time. You know, when something goes wrong between two adults, the best course of action is not to ignore it and soak away in a corner. You have to be able to take a deep breath, set aside the ego, and start talking, you know? And you can't play with sex. You can't withhold sex. I mean, in really deep, deep measures, maybe, because, you know, you don't want to enter into something and then lessen yourself because you gave yourself without really having the love and the support behind it. But you cannot play with that as a tool within a relationship either. You have to take it seriously as it is sacred in the eyes of the Most High. You know? And so the ones that are in the chat room, the chat room will still be able to go into the next hour, I believe. And um, to the ones that are online, you can listen online after the show uploads in the next hour or so. We're going to take a music moment, and this is Queen Omega, Ja Daughter. I'm 
am a woman, because I'm good to pass. I am a woman, and now I am a mother, yes. I am a woman, I'm a baby and my man, yes. I am a woman, if I permeditate, as a woman. Queen Omega, I'm a mother of creation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I am the daughter, living for the most high, and for the Discipleship Radio. 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 Log on to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Discipleship Radio. Log on to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash discipleship radio.
Blessings and grace. And we are back. And in technology, they have a wearable that can tell you when someone is checking you out. They have these bizarre new shoulder pads that monitor an onlooker's gaze. And the wearable uses cameras to find people who are intimately staring at the wearer. And computer vision helps determine how a person is looking at the user. So if someone is deemed interested, the wearer will feel a ripple go up their back. And the wearable warms up when two meet eyes to make the wearable more comfortable. Now, that is extra strength right there. They have shoulder pads that can monitor an onlooker's gaze and give you ripples up your back and warm your shoulders once you become in contact with them. Okay, and this is um, from a company called Ripple. And also in technology, the rise of robots are going to force um, people to introduce human worker quotas. Leading legal experts warn the International Bar Association is concerned about the impact of AI on jobs. Up to a third of graduate jobs around the world could be made obsolete. Manufacturing jobs and high routine occupations like accountants are at risk. Okay, so greater protections are needed to stop robots from stealing your job, according to a renowned organization of international lawyers. The legal experts are concerned that the pace of development in artificial intelligence are outstripping the ability of global governments to make laws to deal with the consequences. And they're worried that this is leading to a gap between current current legislation and new laws, including human job quotas that they feel are necessary to protect people from being overly replaced by machines. Okay, so now we're going to move forward into herbnology, and I'm going to tell you about five essential oils that will replace your entire medicine cabinet. Okay, you have Arnica oil. And whether you have a bruise or you took a fall or simply, or simply having some kind of arthritis flare-up, I use Arnica oil when I go and get my massages. I bring it with me because they have it, they have it in, in, in the form of a massage oil. So I'm getting the healing and the anti-inflammation and the anti-pain properties as I get the massage. Besides, you know, whatever they're using is not going to have all that strength built in. And so, you know, you could forgo the anacinaminophen or the numbing creams and opt out instead for some Arnica oil. They also have Arnica gel. They have those at Whole Foods and also at Trader Joe's. Um, I think I might have seen it at CVS as well. So it could bring um, the natural relief you need. It's potent anti-inflammatory properties. It's good with osteoarthritis and carpal tunnel syndrome and sports-related sprains and injuries. Something else also is basil oil coming or or you're um, fighting the last remnants of allergies. You can swap out your over-the-counter medicines for some basil essential oil and enjoy some natural relief without the side effects. And the basil oil contains high levels of antioxidants and other phytochemicals and has shown both antibacterial and antifungal properties. So they make it ideal to treat everything from ear infections to diarrhea and urinary tract infections. What's more, basil oil pulls double duty as an odor fighter. It fights odor. So you can add a few drops to your natural toothpaste or even um, added level of bacteria killing bad breath prevention. You know, you're just 
killing the bacteria and you're killing the bad breath all in one by just adding a little drop to your toothpaste as well. And they have tea tree oil, and tea tree oil is a workhorse of the essential oils. It's it's a, um its versatility makes it a must-have for any medicine cabinet. I've used it for you know hair care, skin care, you know wound care, <laughs> for cleaning. It's antibacterial. Tea tree oil, I love. I'm not crazy about the smell. You can mix it with something like lavender. You have to, like, you know, um, know how to mix it or look for pre-mixed ones that have it in it. Um, so you use it to treat bacterial infections, insect bites, cold sores, earaches, even psoriasis. And um, it has antimicrobial properties. It kills odor-causing bacteria. Um, so, it's you know, it's great for your armpits. You know, you can make homemade deodorant using it. And it also helps to fight stinky laundry. You can add some in the water in the next load, and your clothes will smell cleaner, and you know, without the use of funky chemical fragrances. And then you have lavender oil, like I just mentioned. You know, it can help you capture a good light, um, a good night's sleep. It has a nice calming smell. And um, the National Institute of Health just had a study that found that lavender served a legitimate role in calming ICU patients that were struggling with anxiety that affected their ability to sleep. So it's even being used in ICUs to help patients who are like going through anxiety of whatever they just had surgery or living and trying to live for to help them rest themselves, you know, that's a wonderful thing. And then there's peppermint oil um, and that helps with all kinds of digestive disorders as well and indigestion, and it's also good in treating IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And so it's, it, it also freshens your bad breath. It relieves muscle soreness. You could put it in your, in your bath, you know, as well. And you can also put it in an oil burner, you know, just for a little while because you'll find that that peppermint oil will stimulate your brain. It's good to burn peppermint oil when your children are studying either that or rosemary. Rosemary increases their retention, their memory by 75%. And then also um, the peppermint oil increases mental clarity. You know, so again, that's peppermint oil, lavender oil, tea tree oil, basil, and arnica oil. And those are just some oils that will serve, that will replace your entire medicine cabinet. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the metaphysics of the moment.
Yes. You must walk in with boldness. Take hold of your truth. Find your rhythm within the clutter, no matter how loud it gets. Because it's all air, hot or cold, it'll pass. Stand within your oneness within the Most High and manifest those qualities of giftedness and grace that stand within you. As we move forward into the metaphysics of the moment, I began off with the praise up talking of Corinthians. And so Corinthians means belonging to Corinth, the people who lived in Corinth mentioned in Acts 18, 8 and 2 Corinthians 6, 11. The metaphysical meaning of Corinthians is that the thoughts that comprise the love center of consciousness, because love is where the most high resides, right? The metaphysical meaning of Corinth is ornament, ornamentation, beauty. A city of Greece where Christian assembly was established. It was to this assembly that Paul wrote his two epistles to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1-2 and 2 Corinthians 1-1. meaning is that Corinth, ornament or beauty, 40 miles to the west of Athens, contained the Greek temple of Venus which was dedicated to the worship of love. So we discern that this, that it was the love center and the consciousness that the truth sought to do a work. Paul here is referred to as the word of truth. Truth, your own personal truth. And being bold with it. Because it is empowered by the strength of the Most High. You can't have false evidence appearing real. Fear. It's false. The word of truth is real. And Corinth is the love center. And love is real. And Paul wrote his matchless poem on love to the Corinthians. But this center was largely given over to lasciviousness under the guise of religion. More than a thousand Cortesians were attached to the Temple of Venus at Corinth as assistants, says secular history. So the need of purification... And the uplifting of the affections here at the love center in human consciousness, very great when the word of truth first enters to do its redeeming work. The word of truth enters to do its redeeming work, and that redeeming work has to be manifested. It just can't sit inside you. That's a sin. You just can't, sit, you just can't not take the gift that the Mosai gave you and just try to find it, unwrap it, work with it, do something with it. Paul's going from Athens to Corinth, Acts 18.1, signifies the withdrawal of the power of the word of truth from the intellectual center, Athens, and its entrance to the love center, Corinth. And the metaphysical meaning of gifts is that the gifts that the wise men of the East brought to Jesus represent the quality of mind given by divine wisdom. The qualities with an S of mind given by divine wisdom. These wise men are bringing to us the consciousness of that which has been ideal. It would be ideal if you would just really be you and we were just all just who we were meant to be. That's the ideal. Gold represents the most precious substance. Gold is the standard of financial values between almost all civilized nations. Men are searching for the gold the world over, 
and it's not the most valuable of the metals, but it's the most universally accepted as, as representatives of riches, of wealth. These wise thoughts from divine wisdom tell us that we have all riches, that the God mind, the God mind, the God mind is in us has given us possession of the universal ether substance. We're made from it. It's given us possession of the powers of the universe. And we've just been so hypnotized and programmed and recalibrated that we have to find the eye in the eye. Gold is the concentration of an etheric essence. Gold grows from the invisible. It has its source in the universal thought substance. See, it's the thought. It's the power of the mind. You have to go internal. You have to take that time and create space for you and journal, see your patterns, see what's happening. The thought substance, you have to write it down. That's how you make your spell. You have to spell it out. You have to journal it. The gold that the wise man brought to the child Jesus was a consciousness of the omnipresent riches of infinite substance. To follow Jesus in prosperity, we must charge our thoughts with wise and rich ideas. To follow Jesus in prosperity, we must charge our thoughts with wise, wise and rich ideas. Another of the presents brought by the wise men was frankincense. Frankincense is one of the riches of all the perfumes. We are told that the sense of smell is allied very closely with the spiritual. Frankincense represents the man in man, the transmutation of material things to spiritual essences. When the Christ mind begins to work in the body, it has to meet many obstacles of the material character. Okay, you have to unclutter and wade through all that massive noise, man, and still keep your rhythm and keep your and keep your sway in the way you do things and keep your eyes on the prize, which is the manifestation of the of the most high's gift within you. When the Christ mind begins to work in the body, it has to meet many obstacles of material character and a constant refining. A constant refining process is necessary. If you're not changing, you ain't growing. My mother used to tell me that. If you ain't changing, you ain't growing. Point blank, end the period. You can't be the same way you was last year. That's not That's not good. You can't be in the same place, around the same people, doing the same thing. You have to create new memories, new habits. Improve upon thyself, Right? You know, so it's a constant refining process is necessary. So wise metaphysicians select carefully the food that they eat. Right? You have to keep up your vitamins, your minerals, your juices, your water, that they may be as spiritual as possible. You have to dilute the toxins. Too much of anything is not good for you. Too much fiber gives you cancer. You can't drink too much coffee, too much tea. Too much alcohol. You can't drink too much juice. You got to drink water too. You have to have balance. They are careful about the air that they breathe, right? You can have Himalayan salt candles in your rooms to absorb the toxins in the air naturally. Okay, they're like $20, right? Especially watchful 
over the thought atmosphere which with they come in contact. All right? Especially watchful of the thought atmosphere which which they come in contact. But they know they must raise every cell in their bodies to a higher consciousness. That's what the Christ mind right there is all about. It begins its work in the body to meet the many obstacles of the material character, especially watchful of the thought atmosphere in which they come in contact with. But they know they must raise. You must raise up within yourself. We have to raise up our children to raise up within themselves, right? Myrrh represents the power of love. God told Moses to take myrrh and a certain oil and to anoint all the instruments used in worship in the tabernacle. The tabernacle represents the body. And through the wisdom of the mind, we must anoint every part of the organism with myrrh with the love of God. We have to anoint every part of our organism with the love of God. Daily we must give presence of love to the young Christ child who lives upon love. Jesus who represents the growth and full expression of the new man. The Christ child, the new woman. Lay down love as the highest of all laws. He emphasized the fulfillment of the law. Of love as love of man for God and love of man for his neighbor. Love of man for God, man for his neighbor. Because if we were all doing the ideal and raised up within our own consciousness and exhibiting the gifts of the Most High, this would be such a better world. And so it's each one teach one, each one reach one. You know? We're going to take a music moment.
Insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. Hardship. My grandmother would go through it every month to pay her insurance bill. First, she would handwrite a paper check, in cursive. Then, using her own tongue, she would wet a stamp for an envelope. Today, however, we need not weary our hands and tongues. Today, we can pay our GEICO bill with the GEICO app. Away with hardship, in with bill pay on the GEICO app. Thank you. Great deals are springing up at New York and Company. Starting today, 50% off everything, no exclusions. Plus, only $10 for the perfect shirt. 40 styles to choose from. Dress up time, over 200 options from maxis to fit and flare perfect for everywhere. Starting at $16.99. Find on trend, on sale dresses from the new Ava Mendez collection. Hop online or to stores to get 50% off everything at New York and Company. 